Hello and welcome to another episode of the Village Halls podcast, sponsored by Allied Westminster, the UK's largest specialist provider of village hall insurance and the home of Village Guard. Now today, I'm joined on a call by Alan Rowe, who is one of the trustees of a hall in the small village of Bubbin Hall in Warwickshire, which is not too far from Leamington Spa. Alan got in touch after listening to our first episode, which explored some of the recent history of village halls, to tell me about a fascinating book he's written about his village, its Victorian reading room, and the village hall. Hi, Alan. How are you? Oh, good morning, Johnny. I'm very well. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much for joining me today. Now, Alan's book is in many ways a tribute to some of the really interesting characters from his village, including those who were behind the building of a new hall in the 1980s. But before we get onto that, tell me a little bit about yourself, Alan, and, and your involvement with the village hall. You're a long-term resident there, yeah? Yes, indeed. Uh, I, I moved to Bobbin Hall in 1972 when I took up a lectureship at the University of Warwick uh, in, in economics. I found myself living in a village which... Um, had a population at that time of about 500 people. And with two young daughters, I very quickly connected to the village school and met many locals on, on that basis and uh, you know, discovered, like many villages, that we had facilities like a church and two pubs, but also a, a very ancient um, village reading room. And I got involved in, in some of the activities uh, through my children. Yeah. It, it's clear from your book, Alan, that until the 1980s, a lot of community activities took place in and around what was called the reading room there in Bobbin Hall. Yes, and that had been the case uh, for almost 100 years at the point I moved in. The reading room was uh, bestowed upon the village in 1876, and it had, uh, had served the village uh, as a social centre, um, additional to the pubs, of course, uh, yeah. but for that length of time. I got dragged into some limited management role with the um, reading room at a fairly, fairly early stage, but um, did not become formally a sort of member of the management team until about 10 years after that. And I understand the reading room, it got itself into, well, a, a, a pretty sad state um, by the 1980s. Is that fair? That's absolutely, absolutely fair. It was trying to do um, everything. It, it was running a football club. It has some very primitive showers. We had a doctor's surgery, which was an outpost from a, a surgery in um, Levington Spa that was um, running two, two days a week, but with uh, no running water, believe it or not. How do you run a doctor's surgery with no running water? We had the youth club, we had a, a scouts group, but um, over the, the hundred years of its uh, existence, the hall had sort of uh, suffered a physical deterioration. And as the physical deterioration continued, the financial position became more and more difficult and um, ultimately unsustainable. And that was the situation in, as of the early, 19, early 1980s. Um, in fact, just before that, the um, local housing authority um, condemned the reading room as unfit for human habitation. We had at the time a sitting tenant there, and it was deemed that the conditions of the hall were such that it was not suitable for um, anyone uh, to live there. So the committee at that time had to scramble quite hard to um, find new accommodation for the tenant. And then on that basis, were permitted through a mini improvement program uh, to keep the hall open for social purposes for a few years from 1977 through to 1983 uh, or 84. But it was still in a, a pretty poor condition. And then, then what happened next? Well, what happened next was that uh, the committee that had manfully looked after the hall for that length of time um, met up with other people at a New Year's Eve party, in fact, on in December 1985. And it was sort of decided very informally at two o'clock in the morning on the basis of a certain number of drinks that um, we needed We needed some new faces. And uh, there was a very sort of distinguished 
character turned up on the scene at that time, a major Alan Gibson, who was at the party. And um, he constituted sort of informally and during the party, a, a new committee, which met more formally on the 3rd of January, 1986, at which I became the treasurer of the village hall. And um, Major Gibson became the, the chairperson. And um, we were asked uh, under his uh, for formidable leadership to not only create a new committee, but commit ourselves to building a brand new village hall. And we all agreed to do that because we were sitting in a freezing uh, building at, on the 3rd of January in 1986. And uh, we thought it was best to agree with him rather than disagree and get the meeting over with as quickly as we possibly could. <laughs> so the major f- performed a bit of a coup as far as the committee was concerned and then became the leader. And I understand he was quite a character, Alan, yeah? Um, yes, Alan Gibson was a was a very distinguished man. He, uh, As a young man, he joined the army. He, he had trained to um, uh, what he thought was going to be warfare in, in Scandinavia. So he learned to ski and that sort of thing. But then very quickly got posted to Burma. And unfortunately, um, after just a few months, was imprisoned by the Japanese and was in a, one of the Burma railway camps, which, as you know, were pretty dreadful places. Um, yeah. He suffered a, a loss of most of his senior colleagues in that camp, um, was there for some two to three or four years, I'm not quite sure how long, went down from being a 12-stone formidable rugby player to being a six-stone person who was just about surviving. Right. And the camp was relieved eventually by the Black Watch. And on the day this happened, Alan told me that he thought, he thought he'd died because he heard bagpipes. He couldn't believe <laughs> bagpipes in Burma. But it was indeed the Black Watch. And he was charged by then as the surviving most senior officer to accept the uh, surrender of the Japanese camp commander, um, symbolized by the handing over of a samurai sword, uh, which he retained. So he returned to the UK, um, took up a job which eventually became production director of one of the um, UK's um, leading pottery companies and did that for many years and moved to Bobbin Hall in retirement, which was good for us because he became then the leading force uh, moving from the old reading room to a new village hall, uh, which we managed to build and open uh, at the end of 1986. Yeah, and I think I think he said that they gave him a, a certain his experiences in in Burma gave him a certain perspective on life, and it made him see that for, for him the challenge of of creating a new hall was kind of wasn't much compared to well, <laughs> obviously what he what he'd been through. Yeah, it, it was trivial. I mean, we, we at that first meeting in January um, eighty six, uh, you know, I found as treasurer I had one hundred ninety four pound and one penny in the bank and you know we looked quickly at the uh, <laughs> bills that we had to pay during that winter and it, they would be easily in excess of three or four hundred pounds so we're in a dire position but he basically said look you know we we can sell this building we can but we'll need to probably raise twenty thirty thousand pounds on top of that and we'll, we'll just do it we'll just do fundraising and uh, walk through the planning requirements you know, had no fear of dealing with difficult planning um, procedures and um, lo and behold, that was uh, that was achieved in a remarkably short period of time. I think helped by the the atmosphere of the time, we we, we were a fairly. Bobbin was an old village. It goes back to the Doomsday Book, and for most of its history, it had been an agricultural community. But the injection of new people in the seventies and early eighties, including myself, I think gave it not only increased the population, but sort of brought in a number of people who had different types of experience and. Um, it was also the period of difficulty in the British economy. If you remember, the 70s included the OPEC oil crisis, um, winter of discontent, a lot of power cuts, and the, the new younger population spent an awful lot of time together because, you know, we had houses with no heat for periods of time and uh, the two pubs were the obvious refuge. So it was a period of togetherness, I would 
describe it as, and uh, it, it became relatively easy in that situation to um, put events on and raise significant amounts of money through everyone sort of pulling together. A little bit like lockdown, really. You know, it, it brought out the best of the community spirit, the hardship of the times, brought out that um, spirit in a way that might not otherwise have happened. But of course, it needed a fairly um, formidable uh, amount of leadership, and we, we, we were lucky in, in getting that from the from Major Gibson. And you had a, you had the good fortune as well of of being able to sell the old reading room for a little more than you expected, yeah. Yes, I mean these things do depend a little bit on serendipity, and um, uh, the nineteen eighties was a period of uh, massive uh, increases in house prices, if you may remember. Yeah. The reading room went to auction. Our estate agents had our estate agents had estimated a sale price of twenty eight thousand pounds. But uh, when we went to auction, amazingly, we had about thirty people in a very small meeting room, and um, there was one um, property developer who had already had a house in the village, had aspirations, I think, to knock down the reading room and build a very large development of, of new houses there. And fortunately, he got outbid by five hundred pounds by um, a Brown family who eventually bought it. And, uh, Bill, Bill Brown, as it turned out, was a very competent architect and well able to deal with the, the challenges of converting this uh, 1870 building into a modern home. And we eventually he, he paid something in the excess of upper 50,000s, almost twice what the estate agent had uh, estimated the value to be. So we got lucky there. Yeah, and and then it was on with the the new build and. Um that somebody locally played a significant part in that aspect as well, didn't they, On Yeah, another little bit of serendipity. We had we were required, obviously, to go out to tender to uh, award the building contract, and the, the tender was won by a, a firm called Johnson Construction, and it, as it just so happened that Graham Johnson, their senior partner, by then was living in Bovenhall and in close proximity to um, Major Gibson. And um, he did an extremely good job for us in building the hall um, to budget, but then sort of took on um, in a voluntary way the, the, the job of maintaining it because he sort of saw it as his pride and joy. And um, for the next um, 30 years, um, he actively engaged with the extensions that we were able to build, but also the maintenance of the building increasingly heavily used and therefore you know, subject to wear and tear. And... Um, Sadly, passed away uh, with a cancer in uh, 2019, which is why the book that uh, I wrote during lockdown has been dedicated to him and why the proceeds from the sale of that book are being um, paid o- over to a, a cancer research charity uh, in his honour. Yeah, and I gather, I gather he, he struck up quite a relationship with Major Gibson as well in, in the village. And, and, and of course, Major Gibson sadly passed away um, before Graham as well. 2010, yes. Well, that, that's right. I mean, the, um, Graham was um, you know, initially just a contracted builder, but I, I think he became, after building the hall, he was appointed to the committee, evangelical committee. And uh, I think he felt a, a deep sort of obligation to the major to sort of make sure that this project was um, successful, not only at the build stage, but at the, uh, the further stages of extension and, and maintenance that were required thereafter. So he had a, as we all did, we had a sort of high degree of loyalty to our um, commander-in-chief, if you can call him that. Yeah. And, and, and what's, what's the legacy um, the, the, 
that these two gentlemen have have, have left behind you, you you must have a, a a wonderful facility there now well we we have and um it, it's an extremely well used hall the original building was built down to a budget because we only had the money that was available but um another little bit of history if you allow me um we've since 1986 we've done three or four major extensions of the hall as a consequence of that, the hall has got quite a lot bigger. Uh, the, the, the initial sort of rather primitive quality of the build has been improved in terms of the heating and the um, insulation and the quality of the um, you know things that keep the cost the cost down. And um, again, Graham Johnson, the builder, has taken a leading role in orchestrating that, or did until his passing. Yeah, so a great fortune as part of the story, but also tinged by some sadness. Of course, you mentioned that. Uh, Graham Johnson passed away with cancer, which takes us on to your book, of course, as 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 you, as you mentioned, that the, the, you're raising money from the book, uh, which is going to cancer research, yeah? Uh, yes, indeed. But uh, that was one motivation of uh, for doing the book. I mean, it, um, I think Graham's passing uh, was the stimulus that really got me going. And then lockdown turned up, so I had even even more time. And so... Um, with, with the help from a number of other people, and not least um, uh, Vicky Area is a proper historian, which I'm, I'm not, uh, someone who's done previous work on the history of the village. I got kicking off on this on this book, and in the end I decided to call it From Reading Room to Village Hall, Windows and Bubbinal History. I'm trying to sort of set the, the bricks and mortar of these two buildings in the context of the evolving history of the village. I think in the, in, in the 19th century, Things like the reading room were established for reasons which were probably quite different from the ones that we would now associate with village halls. Um, it was linked very much to the reforming zeal of you know the Victorians, uh, work, workers' rights, uh, fairer deals, cooperative movements, uh, savings movements, and so on. In its early years, the reading room was very much a, a facility that was used to um, improve people. If I can use that yeah, yeah. rather uh, old-fashioned expression. Um, with lots of technical uh, education things, co- courses in poultry keeping and nursing, um, needlework, and, and as well as the provision of books and newspapers for people who would otherwise not have a- access to them to uh, uh, to make use of, and um, uh, motivated by religious zeal as well, uh, because the second rector of the village, Reverend Harrison, was clearly a very strong uh, temperance person. He preached sermons about the, the evils of drink. And we had, we had two pubs in the village and a population of 250 people. So um, the church was clearly trying to stop that happening. And the reading, yeah. the reading room was one sort of alternative, if you like, to going to the pub in the evening. Fantastic. Wonderful. Don't give too much away, Alan, because the next question is, is how can, how can someone get a hold of the book? How, how much does it cost? Well, we, we've done this as a as a, I call it a vanity thing, I suppose, but uh, we printed only 200 copies because, you know, we have a li- very limited budget. And we are now um, selling the last few copies of this. We had 50 or 60 of these left. Anyone who's interested in listening to this podcast who wants one can contact me directly, but could also go on to the village website. We have a, an excellent um, village website run by a colleague called uh, Van Lucas, and that is accessible at bobbinhall.info, and you'll see a tab there for history, and the book is referred to there. Jan, myself, the, the present chairman of Village Hall, Mark Holt, or a number of other people who are listed on that website would be more than happy to uh, communicate with anyone who is interested in finding out a little bit more about the book, or indeed about Bobbinhall generally. 
Okay, great. Well, I'll definitely put a link up with this episode on the Village Halls podcast website as well, Alan. So if if anyone wants the book, which which is a great read, by the way, um, while also contributing, of course, to a hugely important charity, they can they can get in touch and and fascinating, Alan. As I, as I said, um, it, it, it's sad that the village has lost such wonderful characters and contributors to village life there, but but what a fantastic and lasting legacy they've left behind. And to be honest, the next time I'm struggling with anything, I'll definitely be thinking about the major and putting things into perspective. <laughs> so thanks, Alan. I really enjoyed listening to you today. Well, thank you very much, Johnny, for the opportunity to to talk to you about that. It, uh... Fascinating, as I said, and thanks very much for your time. And and good luck with the book. And um, if if you've got any information out there to share or, or a story to tell around Village Halls, please get in touch like Alan did. Uh, you know, I'd really love to hear from you. And, and one last thing about Bubbin Hall, you, you mentioned uh, the, the Doomsday Book of 1086 um, and the village goes way back. It reminds me how Acre are still encouraging village halls to sign up to their online Doomsday Book. So if you haven't already done that, visit the Acre website for this. And again, I'll make sure there's a link to that with this episode. As always, many thanks to our sponsor and specialist insurance provider, Allied Westminster, for making our podcast possible and whose services you can discover more about at www.villageguard.com. You've been listening to the Village Halls podcast, a new and unique listening community for Britain's village, church and community halls, and anyone interested in the vital community services they provide. Yes, we'll be back again soon, so if you haven't already, please visit thevillagehallspodcast.com to subscribe, sign up for updates, link through to our social media pages, and to find out more. Until the next time, goodbye for now.